0: This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, August thirtieth, 2020, for Trinity Commons. The principal text for the sermon is Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, the story of Moses encountering God in the burning bush. I have spent probably more time than I want to admit during the pandemic getting caught up on watching movies and Netflix and things like that. And one of the movies that I finally got to see when it came on HBO this summer was the 2019 movie, Harriet. It's about Harriet Tubman, right? And the movie poster, when you see it, it looks like it's an advertisement for some sort of hero, outlaw, Western film and not a biopic about Harriet Tubman who has most frequently been featured in children's books and not in major motion pictures. On this poster there's a picture of Harriet, she's actually on there twice, once at the top of the poster in the center um, of the co-star, slightly bigger than her two co-stars, and then at the bottom of the poster in silhouette wearing this this big hat facing either a rising sun or a setting sun, and then the words be free or die are centered on the top of the poster. On the surface, this movie is more of a superhero epic than a biopic. They portray Tubman as receiving special visions from God following a brutal childhood injury. It's these visions that help guide her the hundred miles north to freedom, and it's these visions that would lead her back south, even though the risks were very great. The filmmakers, in talking about reasons why they made certain decisions in the film, said that they wanted to present Tubman as the fierce young woman of faith that she was, finding that her usual depiction in children's stories and history books defanged her, declawed her, to make her more palatable for us. So here, in this superhero movie, was Harriet Tubman, all of five foot tall, a black woman guided by her love and her faith to lead her people to freedom. In the 10-year period covered by the movie, Harriet, in real life, makes 13 trips from the north to the south and leads some 70 people, many of them her family, to freedom as a conductor on the Underground Railroad. While the movie doesn't go into detail about it, it does reference that during the Civil War, she would serve as a Union spy and would lead a raid that would free 750 enslaved people. For this, she was called then, in the movie and now, the Moses of her people. Today we encounter the story of Moses again. Last week having heard his origin story, this week we get Moses a grown man and on the run. Moses who grew up in Pharaoh's palace has killed an Egyptian for striking a Hebrew. This is not an act of bravery, but instead Moses takes great care to make sure no one is looking before he strikes the Egyptian. He's not viewed as a hero by the Hebrew people, and when Pharaoh finds out, he seeks to kill Moses to punish him for the murder. So Moses has run to the land of Midian. Here he finds refuge, a wife, a family, and a job. And while Moses settles into his new life, the old Pharaoh dies, the Israelites continue to cry out from their bondage, and the narrator tells us that God hears these people God sees these people, God knows these people, and that God remembers. Now when God remembers, we know that that means action is soon to follow. And so cut to the reading that we have today, Moses, while at work doing his job as a shepherd, quickly pays attention when he notices an angel coming out of a bush that is burning without actually burning up. And so he stops to see what is happening And when God calls him by name, Moses rightly says, Here I am. So far, Moses is doing all the right things for a Bible superhero, right? He's heard God's voice. He's stopped. He says, here I am. He's taken notice of God's inbreaking into his regular life and responded to God's calling. He even will remove his shoes when instructed because God has made this mundane patch of grazing land holy, and he hides his face as to not look at God directly all the things that you're supposed to do in the midst of a theophany. And then God recounts for Moses what the narrator already told us at the end of the last chapter, that God has seen the abuse of God's people in Egypt. God has heard their outcry. God knows their pain. And then God begins to describe the action required because God has remembered the people. God has come down to rescue them, to bring them up to a place of milk and honey. And I sort of imagine that Moses, over here on the side, bent over, hiding his face, is maybe thinking, this all sounds great, but what has it got to do with me? And then he gets the answer, as God says, So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And if there was a soundtrack playing at this moment, I like to imagine that we would hear that sort of scratching noise that normally gets made as the needle slides across the record that indicates something has gone a little bit off course. Moses is no longer enthusiastic about this holy moment that he is in, and his response to God isn't a resounding yes, but is instead to say, who am I? That should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who is Moses? He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. He's someone that is neither accepted or respected by either the Israelites or the Egyptians. So who is he that he should go to Pharaoh so that he could be locked up for murder? Who is he that the Israelites should pay him any attention? Now, since we know Moses' origin story from last week, we might be tempted to respond, Well, you, Moses, you owe your life to the faithful defiance of Shipra and Pua and of your mother and sister and adopted mother. You have been surrounded by faithful women that have challenged Pharaoh since your birth. Or we might say, you were raised in Pharaoh's court, saved from the abuse of the Israelites, given the privilege that comes with power and wealth, you should go back to where you came from. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God's answer, it turns out, is much shorter than anyone that we would give because God simply says, I will be with you. Who are you, Moses? Moses, you are the one that God says the divine name to, and that for all the reasons that Moses will offer up for the next chapter and a half, God's only real answer again and again is the insurance that God's presence and power will be with Moses. Moses is the one that God is with and that God has chosen to send. Now when I hear the story and the calling of Moses, it does make me think that many times of my life I've been really good at coming up with all the reasons why I am not the right person to do something. I can usually very quickly point out all my shortcomings and no matter how long the list is that I can come up with, it at the end of the day doesn't change the fact that God is sending me somewhere to do something I'm also really good in those moments of feeling God's call on my life to try to shape and limit what God is actually asking me to do. Surely I'm not called to do this particular thing. Surely the church is not called to take this particular stand. Surely God would rather avoid conflict or the arguing or the stress. But all of this is just a way to avoid the fact that God's call is clear. It was clear to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God sees clearly, hears clearly, and knows clearly the pain of God's people suffering under oppression. And God remembers them. And God sent Moses to bring them out of it. And God sends us to oppose the injustice of this world. So when we encounter Moses... Maybe we can be reminded of Harriet, who, when she was sent, trusted that God would go with her and that she would go and bring her people to freedom. And so, when we hear God's call and we say, Who am I? Who are you? Who are we to do this? Who are we that we should be sent to set people free? Who are we in this moment of pandemic and injustice? As we've heard again and again this summer, we are the people of God who have been transformed by the loving, liberating, and life-giving redemption of Jesus Christ. We are the people of God that since the beginning of creation have learned again and again of God's faithfulness. We are the people of God called and sent into the world through God's grace with one simple mission, to overcome the evil of the world, with God's good. Amen.